reading this morning is from the 47th book of the Sangyutta, Satipatthana Sangyutta. Just read, not the entirety, but a couple of um, suttas, short suttas, 41, the deathless, 42, origination. Because dwell with your minds well established in the four establishments of mindfulness, do not let the deathless be lost on you. In what for? Because Bhikkhu dwells contemplating the body in the body, feelings in feelings, mind in mind, phenomena in phenomena, ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful, having removed covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world, dwell, because with your minds well established in these four establishments of mindfulness, do not let the deathless be lost on you. I will teach the origination and the passing away the four establishments of mindfulness. Listen to this. What is the origination of the body? With the origination of nutriment, there is the origination of the body. With the cessation of nutriment, there is the passing away of the body. With the origination of contact, there is the origination of feeling. With the cessation of contact, there is the passing away of feeling. With the origination of name and form, there is the origination of mind. With cessation of name and form, there is the passing away of mind. With the origination of attention, there is the origination of phenomena. With the cessation of attention, there is the cessation of phenomena. So, something quite cryptic, I think. Certain things are being suggested here. Uh, main suggestion, you know, that without this four establishments, the deathless is lost. Um, this is the aim of the practice, is not uh, knowledge, intellectual knowledge, or anything like that, but something beyond mere reason, concepts, ideas, something you know, ineffable, doesn't arise and pass away within these, this practice process. Sati. Another very important enlightenment factor is Dhamma Vijaya, which means to explore Vijaya Vichara. It's moving around. Chara is conduct. Vichara, moving around. So you're moving around, you're adjusting, you're exploring, handling Dhammas, phenomena, things, stuff. Mm. Handling your stuff. Exploring it. And this process of exploration is there to uh, encourage one to understand the conditionality of experience. As things as you begin to adjust your attitudes, your ways of handling, your interests, your perspectives, suddenly things appear rather differently. 
And we see if we get passionate about something, something becomes very important. Withdraw the passion, thing is not important. Simple thing like that. So the apparent desirability of something isn't really the thing, it's the amount of passion that one gets invested in it. Whether it's a thought, peanut butter sandwich, or the girl next door. You know, it's just, there's a thing, something there. Uh, and the amount of passion one throws into that, or gets thrown into that, invests it with a huge amount of significance that one's mind, one's attention can get rotated around. But actually it's not the thing. It's, it's a conditioned arising of passion, desire, craving, or of course aversion. You know, this is also a passion. One gets steamed up, irritation, ill will. You know, or fretting and worrying. Oh, what's this? So you can feel yourself getting heated up around something you're snarling and snagging on. So with withdrawal of that phenomenon is just gone, you know. What's that about? This is possible. If this were not possible, there would be no access to the deathless. Because it is possible, there is access. It's this process of withdrawing interest, withdrawing energy, uh, withdrawing focus, withdrawing that. And he thinks, oh, fades out. Things that become internal obsessions, gone. So it's kind of some of this is natural. I mean, I used to collect stamps when I was when I was younger. I get very excited about particular kinds of stamps from these strange countries I've never been to. Fiji or Cameroons. I get a stamp from the Cameroons. I get so excited. I've got a stamp, postage stamp from the Cameroons. Uh, it gave me a feel I was going there. So I gave an album full of amazing places, Taiwan or Hong Kong or. You know, that always gave me a feeling I was so accessing these amazing countries through these little tiny little squares of paper. <laughs> Oh, actually, in one letter, it's just a tiny little square of paper that you stick on a letter to send it somewhere. But for me, it wasn't. It was imbued with exotic uh, fascination, and there's uh, always a nice picture on the on the postage stamp. It didn't show you the rubbish tip or the drug addict, uh, drug addicts. It showed you kind of you know <laughs> sort of <laughs> nice beach with palm trees on it or a king's head or something that would be dignified it's just another place with the same sort of human <laughs> dilemmas and debris anywhere else <laughs> but it was a nice little thing I've got all Cameroons or Fiji or, oh wonderful so I had all posted down with these and then as time went by one's got lost interest and suddenly the, uh, these uh, images never just faded out I didn't really have an image of that, and certainly didn't not interested in postage stamps. 
you know, suddenly the whole kind of glow of that just you know, a piece of paper stick on a letter to send it somewhere yeah, what thing was the same and yet it wasn't this is what's called name and form and form rupa and naming is the amount of mental activity emotional investment passion excitement obsession blindness uh, and myopia short sightedness that occur in that and in the centre of that is feeling and energy rises with feeling so those feeling points energy rises either painfully or pleasantly and rises in contact oh jitta oh what's that goes to that gets excited gets moving sankara start rushing out activations and we establish perceptions establish meanings and images that stay in our minds things we're fascinated by or annoyed by or focused on and this is the stuff you open up when you open up these in this direct experience practice you're opening up the Pandora's box of perceptions obsessions and the tendency to get obsessive and yeah and bearing in mind that uh, this has to be explored but Dhamma exploration itself depends upon that strong mindfulness which acts as a kind of a central pillar so you don't get lost in the phenomena exploration doesn't become you know snagged by it you know exploration doesn't become just the intellectual proliferation because it's not an intellectual inquiry <laughs> it's a feeling inquiry it's a mindful inquiry feels like this This ha- when this happens passion rises when this happens it ceases when this happens stress begins to arise when this doesn't happen stress ceases this is not an intellectual process this is a contemplative process feeling what happens to chitta which could be liberated so required that central axis of sati which is we can say within body but it's not the body body in the body so it's not what we think about the body it's not how we see the body it's not even how we touch the body but the body's life vitality intelligence could say yeah, and the central principle of that is the body centrally is um, is actually balanced yeah. 
so the arms know what to do, the legs, you know, the whole thing operates around a central balance and coordination. Right? Stand up, stands up, doesn't fall over. Walks, it walks. The arms move, you know, and they're all you know, associated with a kind of central balancing quality. It itself is empty. It's just open receptivity. It has to be that way, because if you had feelings and things going on, that would block its receptivity, the rest of it. So it's just open, it doesn't feel. It doesn't mean it's not aware, but it's an awareness that is not invaded by its own feeling. So it can actually pick up and receive the rest of it. Right? So it's open receptivity. So when you're standing or sitting and you've got nothing in mind particularly, just to feel how the body sits, so it's not tilting over. You come fully into the presence of the body, how is the body sitting? Not what am I going to do, or how can I meditate, or how does the body sit? So it's most comfortable and settled. You can organise. How does it stand? So there's least pressure, least strain, most balanced, most comfortable. And you can do standing meditation for at least half an hour or so. It feels very light. Because, you know, when you really get into it, and walking, you're very comfortable. When you're not trying to get to the end of the path or build up something or develop something, you're just actually in a body walking, or keeping keeping that openness, that emptiness of passion and aim and you know, planning. Because you know. the mind keeps intruding with its own agendas. So that openness is lost because the mind starts putting its own stuff in there and it's something that often we don't have much control over it just spills in because it becomes such a reflex so often in the practice the Buddha is giving us steps that will support that that the dismantling or the handling of that reflex to just proliferate and add and tangle and get obsessed and struggle, which we don't want to do, it just spills out. And there's the whole trainings around this sense restraint. So you're limiting the going out into sense consciousness. Because with sense consciousness, the data of sense consciousness, you don't have much say over. Shapes and forms and sounds and sights, they're just, that's what you're in, you know. And if you sat in a dark room, mind would still be throwing up ideas and memories. So you can't, you know, the aim is not to cut off sense consciousness, but to withdraw one's interest and energy from it. So you're aware how much is needs to be seen, touched, felt. 
It's kind of that open receptivity rather than plunging out into shapes and forms, sights and sounds, events and occupations, people and planning, mental activity, withdrawing energy. So he gives this example, like if your body, this physical body, rises, samudayo, dependent upon material food. So it's kind of very obvious. You withdraw the food, the energy of the body dwindles. Energy of the body dwindles, body passes away. It's a simple analogy, simple thing. He's not recommending you do that. <laughs> but he's saying it is dependent. And, it's dependent that you, you know, and what actually can occur is that withdrawal of energy, the life force, dwindles. So with the cessation of food, there is what's he called it, the passing away. This is the word here is atangamo. So niroda, cessation, stopping something. Atangamo is a word that's used to describe the setting of the sun, sunset. So it's an energy going down. When the body's energy goes down, call that death. But just noticing the process of withdrawing energy through just cutting off food. So that's something we all can all know. It gives you a handle on what's being mentioned. It doesn't mean cessation of body, but the withdrawal of energy from it. And then things will take their natural course. So there's a difference between Atangamo Niroda, that's being presented in this particular piece. And you're saying, okay, and then with the, another thing you can know, the contact. With the origination of contact is the origination or the rising up, some will die or like a welling up. And then flush, like a wave comes in. Touch something, see something, something hits your heart, rises up. There's a welling up, a feeling, you feel this energy. Yeah? Glows, pricks, tingles, rushes. Yeah? That's feeling. It's an energy shift. Things were neutral and suddenly the wave picked up. Positive, pleasant. That's called feeling. No contact, no feeling. Doesn't do it. So often in um, training situations, we're not trying to numb out, but we're certainly not looking for big, high surges of feeling. Feeling is kind of, we want to be receptive. To get very strong surges of feeling, the subtle receptivity is lost. The openness is lost because this great wave rushes through it. So we're keeping things towards the calm, neutral spectrum. And within that you can then discern subtler shifts of pleasure, displeasure, energy shifts. So you can begin to, with that ability to be mindful of energy rather than swept to swept away by it, mindful of feeling rather than caught up in it, you can then, oh, this one, this doesn't really go anywhere useful, it just burns. 
rushes through it, doesn't go anywhere useful. And there's other kinds of feeling, such as the feeling that comes from gladness, self-respect, which is subtler. And not circumstantial contact, but more inbuilt values. So it's steadier. And you're able to explore contact, what's useful to have contact with, how energy rises, what is felt, and how when you withdraw from contact, feeling dissolves. It's particularly useful if you've got passion or aversion, which are, you get riveted, get the red mist comes up lust and anger, then you really lost balance, lost the center, lost the cool place. So you withdraw contact. Don't focus on it. Turn away. Drop it. Drop it. You get more skillful. Drop it carefully so you begin to see within that what was that? What were the conditions? What was the how did such a thing become a source of obsession? You can review insightfully you know, the qualities of craving, distaste, searching for stimulation, you know, inability to manage discomfort, and look into those, explore that. And here we're trying to recommend that turning from external sense contact to simplicity of an entire awareness of the body, simple rhythm like the body breathing, extending the entire form, will actually be a very helpful uh, shift of contact, moving away from these flarings, obsessiveness. Uh, causes a whole training in that. And sometimes the mind is not receptive enough to breathing, can't actually pick it up, so you say, okay, well, let's just stand, feeling the entire body, walking, feeling the body walking, something a bit more coarse. If the mind doesn't have the receptivity to pick up subtler signs, you choose a, a stronger sign. But one that is not, uh, that you can move through feeling. So walking, sometimes it's cold or uncomfortable, you keep walking. Yeah. If it was pleasant, keep walking. Wondering, get bored, keep walking. Get restless, keep walking. And eventually these things fade out. Then your mind is open. You're allowed feeling to move through it and obsessions to move through it. Often walking meditation is a time when you just steam off mental preoccupations, just keep walking, your mind bubbles up, natters, chatters, rumbles, craves, just keep walking, and it begins to kind of steams off, because you've got something that's able to, can keep your mind from a centred on, 
because it's coarse enough to allow these other forms to blow out. But that's the movement, is towards the blowing out of the energy, not getting into the topic, why I'm like this, why I should, how he should, who he is, what I'm not, what I want to do, just drop the topic, go to the energy, agitation, passion, and then, okay. Sustaining, steady, simple presence, body, body energy moving along, the heat, the contractions of the passionate mind begin to release. With the origination of Nama Rupa, name and form, is the origination, the welling up of the citta. With the cessation of name and form is the um, quietening down, dissolving, disappearance, passing away, sunset of the citta. The energy goes down. And unlike the body, this doesn't mean death, Chitta doesn't die. There's no reference to Chitta as Niroda. It doesn't cease, it just energy withdraws. And the withdrawal of energy from the Chitta is considered uh, a movement towards the deathless. A movement away from passion, towards dispassion. Shifting away from engagement to disengagement. The moving away from jitter, jitter's emotions and projections and fantasies into undifferentiated receptivity. A movement into open receptivity and away from particular things I'm fired up about. Energy dissolves, and it can do that. You're in something that's much more cool. And, with the, and then the name and form is these are what's this? It's often referenced in coming suttas, name and form. Naming is an intricate process of focusing, labeling, getting excited, getting stirred up, you know. Something is configured. So we might say, for example, just this hall itself, which the primary feature of it is to create an open space that we can sit in. Now, (laughs) that's its primary feature. Now, we can configure the architectural design, the nature of the wood, the images, the statues, the light, the coloration on the floor, the people within it. And we can focus on those and we can, you know, enjoy them, dislike them, compare them, contrast them, readjust them, consider how we would have built it another way. That would all be naming. 
That would be what we call the process of naming, giving attention to details and kind of getting a lot of action going around that. That's naming. But also we could release that naming and just be a minor hall, doesn't really matter. What I notice is I've got space, I'm not getting rained on. That's it. That that's it. That's open. I don't even really want a meditation hall. All I want is just an open space to sit in. So then the whole meditation hall disappears as a topic of one's conscience and one's mind. Now you could say, well it hasn't disappeared. You can look around, there it is. Well, no. In terms of my my dwelling, it has disappeared. When I sit here, I'm aware of breathing, space. I'm not aware of meditation hall. That's gone. So we're looking at direct experience, how things come into focus, come into activity, come into play. And with the beauty of it is things that on an ordinary way of person seeing it, you know, who's not looking at direct experience, but looking at what the senses produce and how we interpret it, is saying, well, you're sitting in a meditation hall. It's got these oak beams. I wonder what, who designed them and what's the style? Look at the pegs. Is it held together? How long is it? How much did it cost? What's the wall made of? What's the plaster? Look at the stone. What's the interesting colours? Where did that stone come from? What about the glass? What kind of thick is the glass? And look at this, look at that misty quality on the glass. Is that supposed to be like that? What's that funny image doing? Why is it light? It's not light enough. It should be this. And you're sitting in it. No, I'm not. I'm not sitting in it, I'm sitting in breathing, space, firmness, subtle warmth, that's where I'm at. So what, what arises, what you're in, then depends upon na- naming form. Now there is a form here, but that depends on what consciousness brings. Consciousness, when consciousness comes, name and form. Consciousness, sense consciousness brings in sights and colours, warmth and coolness, shapes, sounds, and these trigger contact, feelings, perceptions, impressions, and all that comes in. But it doesn't have to come in. If we go out, it comes in. If we don't go out, it doesn't come in. It doesn't come in, there's no anguish, there's no comparing, 
there's no obsession, there's no dislike or like, it's just not a topic, it's not in, it's not, it doesn't come into play. This is conditioned arising and conditioned ceasing and conditioned release through withdrawal of energy interest. So then, contact, nama rupa, really turning off of that process. Then the jitter is not activated, it's open, it's released. Now, of course, there's a lot more in life than a meditation hall. But that's an example. And as you living in this, this is what consciousness brings, Namarupa. So you see shapes, people's bodies. What do you do about that? So you see, let it be there, let it be form, not named. Let it just be shape, form, earth, element, not name, not confabulated, not configured. What is it? <laughs> we just see like a, a body, just as a particular coloration in space. No, no action going on it, it's just a form. It's energy's gone out of that. Thought, the other end of the spectrum, an element of thought consciousness. You get a thought so dazzling, so brilliant, so wonderful, so interesting. Lines of thought. This means that. This means that. How exciting! It's just, it's just, just. What is it? It's just flickerings in mental consciousness that one gets stimulated by. So we actually begin to witness these in terms of the jitters arising, or it's, it's or it's it's fading, and it's heating up, or it's cooling. You see things in this perspective. This is a perspective that leads to release. Now, of course, we could see a body and get into all the anatomical details of it, or we could see it in its desirability, its shape, its colours, its textures, and do that kind of thing. Or we could compare it with this, that, and the other. And that's true also, and yeah. But does it lead to liberation? No. Those are looking why the deathless is important because you can certainly do the rest of it and there's whole industries and preoccupations with doing exactly that you know adjusting bodies tweaking dying shaping dieting brushing grooming to vanama just for vanama and the Buddha says, the world is held by Nama. 
it's in a tangle. Nama covers the world. It covers the world. This labelling, it covers the world. And it means you are stuck in it. But you don't have to be. You look at it in terms of chitta, when you're rising, the chitta's getting fired up. It is getting activated, stirring, rushing around, comparing and contrasting, favouring and disliking, all that energy. It just, it's just a form. Just the body, it's the shape, just the colour. Energy withdraws, jitter cools, passes, dissolves out of that domain. And this movement is, you know, in the Buddha's experience and meticulous understanding, say, you know, this jitter can pass out of the sensory domain into the fine material realm. Where it's just energies and luminosities, and it can pass out of that into the immaterial realm. Yeah, infinite space, boundless space, and it can pass out of that. And it can also just release into deathless. So, this is something to understand. You know, the, what's called the disappearance or the passing of chitta is not an annihilation. It's a release from the fire of greed, hatred, delusion. When you look at topics, they will always be interesting or, well, maybe they won't, but, you know, you get riveted on them, make a story out of it. Like and turn around that. Tribunals, one's getting anguished over. This is wrong, they should have done this, he should have told me that, I didn't do that. Da, 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 da. Fired up. Yeah, you're right. It shouldn't be this, it should be that. Yep, absolutely right. It shouldn't be this way, it should be that way. Yep. Yeah, and you can go to law court about that. If you want to spend your life in a law court, there's plenty of that. Or you could just withdraw. What's this got to do with me anyway? You know, to what extent is that relevant to my path? There's somewhere better to go. So this ability to moderate one's the energy in your chitta where it's placed. The origination of attention, there is the origination of phenomena. With the cessation of attention, there is the passing away of phenomena. Attention, manasikara. Manasikara. Mano is mind consciousness as distinct from citta. Citta is much more the subjective receptive 
a responsive experience. Something's happening, is it being agitated, stirred, aroused, gladdened, disappointed, excited, calmed, all that. And the energies that run out from that, it's the energetic medium of experience. The inner quality of the mind, you could say. Mano is the exterior quality of the mind that's dealing with organizing dates, times, places, defining objects. This is Thursday, it's nine o'clock, it's this, that, that, that's all mana. Uh, Dhammas are created, phenomena are generated. And as it says in the Dhammapada, mano is the king, the chief of these phenomena. And how does it generate them? Mana sikara, uh, attention. Now attention here means the mind conceives of an object, say Thursday for example, or nine o'clock, conceives of an object, or gym, you know, anything. That phenomenon then appears abstract. Manasikara is, is, is a contraction around the, the field of potential experience you know, into this creating discernible, discrete phenomena for attention. So you could think about my uncle's birthday and suddenly that arises, pop. You know, and then once it's there, right, what am I going to do about it? Da, 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 you know, how old is he anyway? This kind of thing going on. And then you can suffer from it because I should do this, and how old is he? I've forgotten how old he is, and what, do I buy him a tie, or is it a Christmas card, or I don't even like the guy that much anyway, but it's, you know, should do it because he's my uncle, and the guilt, regret, and then. Mind you, the old fella's getting a bit old, so I'm a bit worried about him too. <laughs> All arisen from that one object that your mind put in there. And somebody says, but you don't have an uncle. <laughs> you passed away five years ago. Oh. You know, the story, that old Sufi story of the Mullah Nasruddin, who was, you know, and somebody said to him, you know, this fellow, this fellow is starting to flirt with your wife. Somebody, this guy's flirting with his wife. I'm flirting with my wife. Yeah. So he figures his whole plan is going to kill this guy. So he figures out how to climb up a tree, he's going to drop things on this fellow's head and kill him. He gets up this tree and he's waiting there in the middle of the night and he realises, wait a minute, I'm not married. (laughs) Once you created the object, you know, my wife, and then all this passion, this loyalty belongs to me, mine, this, that and the other, gets generated, the fact you don't actually have a wife. And yet, once you create the idea, you can get steamed up about it. And of course, we can create ideas of fair, justice, appropriate system, routine, 
best kind of monastic training is this, or they do it in this monastery or that monastery, everybody does this way, Bhopapong does this way, Honam does it this way, we can bring these crystalline phenomena into our minds and then, you know, there it is, it's created. Mm. And to what extent that is skillful, you have to find out. But when it's compulsive, it's coming from uh, compulsiveness, search for right and wrong, it's going to be accompanied by blaming and resisting, favouring and opposing, and then suffering is going to happen. With the cessation of attention, what does this mean? It means that the mind, instead of grasping a discrete object, opens and widens to receptivity. I don't have to remember, bring something in here that's not here. Why bother? And then what happens? The phenomena are not generated as dissolving of that. Attention. So you know, what do we give attention to? I try to uh, train myself to not think about things I don't need to think about. It involves a little bit of careful measuring. Pieces of information I don't need, I don't bother to hold. Train myself this way. So very often I don't even know really what day of the week it is because whether it's Monday or Tuesday or Saturday or Sunday, it doesn't. It's just the light changes, <laughs> and there's puja, and there's sitting, there's breathing, there's people, there's dana. That I remember, that gets me through, whether it's Tuesday the 19th or Thursday the 27th, it's just... <laughs> Let's look on the great whiteboard is my guru, I go to whiteboard for my refuge. <laughs> it tells me where I am on the conventional world. Sometimes, sometimes it gets it wrong, of course. So, you see, I don't need to you know, know these things. So why have something I can kind of start calculating how long and how many hours and when's it going to be this and when's it going to change? It's going to change anyway. Thursday will become Friday sooner or later with <laughs> don't have to think about it. and the amount of stuff that was possible to think about attention, media that you can get all kinds of opinions about and this whole entire industry opinions about what some actress is doing in California and how she's having some affair with these two but so what, you know what I mean I feel get opinions about it and have a whole kind of, you know, um, internet chat room war over this person, get involved with this person. I think, you know, and you know, something about this currently this thing is uh, one of the king's sons is spilling all these unfavourable stories about his family. So everybody's jumping onto that, getting excited in chat rooms and 
pros and cons and people get very abusive about this one guy who had a normally dysfunctional family like news like well get real who doesn't have a dysfunctional family <laughs> but somehow this one we're all going to jump on board and have an opinion about and who's right and who's wrong get excited about it and spend because millions of pounds are being generated around getting obsessed around this one person one individual in the world of seven billion that we can get on board with and have a whole kind of thing going around this is madness you know like here we are planet kind of global crisis climate crisis wars pestilence violence famine we're going to get obsessed about the kind of minor flaws and defects in some guy's relationship with his dad suddenly occupies people's attention. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but it's always so tragic. Here you get some kind of football player who's wearing, you know, a hundred million pound football player. And there's a whole kind of gossip around this guy who kicks the ball around very nicely. Great, good, 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 excellent, very, very interesting. I don't need to know about all his fancies and what he drives and what his girlfriend is. I said, oh, I don't, I don't, what, what's the deal here? <laughs> Just get out of my head, will you? <laughs> I don't want it. I don't want more stuff to deal with. This kind of feverish hunger to get snarled up about something or the other. <laughs> get agitated and excited and get passionate and meanwhile there's things you could put attention into that would do you some good <laughs> and perhaps be conducive to the welfare of the planet why don't you give attention to things like harmlessness and <laughs> virtue loving kindness and Composure, yeah. And these are not just objects of attention. These are profound cultivations of the chitta, in which attention is just used carefully, just in order to attend to what's necessary to attend to for as long as it's necessary to stabilize, to gladden, to clean the chitta, and then leave it. You don't need to get obsessed. But if you follow the instruction, you know, the Buddha presents even meditation systems, something some that seems quite specific, like breathing, okay, who knows what that is, are you sure? <laughs> you get into it and you begin to recognize well the physicality of it starts to disappear and you get into subtle energetic modalities, you don't need the nose and the fit, you don't need all that, you just leave it. What are you left with? Some sort of pulsing, glowing sense. Yeah. Okay. Then you get a bit, you don't need to get excited about it. So you just cool down. There's a gradual process where the object's attention itself starts to become more open, lucid, phenomena become subtler. The less we get 
holding attention in a, in a grasp, intense way brings up phenomena. And often you can find this the more that you get you know, feverishly intense on getting concentrated, the more agitated and distracted you get because you're not getting comfortable. The more you're trying to maintain one-pointedness on a particular sensation in your body, the more you get tension and frustration. And so just being able to just completely release it, go into openness, receptive. And then receptive. So your attention is, is kept gentle. That which jitta feels comfortable with. Just that which is necessary to support mindfulness, necessary to support some clarity. Sometimes just sort of sit, eyes open, drop focus, open. What comes in? Some solidity, warmth, rhythm of breathing. Maybe that's enough. So when that organ of attention is correctly massaged, managed, handled, so that instead of more and more phenomena getting created, there's a waning and a disappearance of phenomena. This is the direction of the deathless, the phenomena non-arising, open, receptive, empty. Again, in ordinary language, this sounds totally boring, useless, and even nutty, crazy. In terms of chitta, it feels like a weight off the mind. In terms of chitta, it feels like this is this is cooling. This is freedom. This is exquisite. This is peaceful. This is sublime. The relinquishment attachment, destruction of craving, dispassion, ceasing. Mm. This is exquisite. But any any step we make on that on that path will give you that indication. This is not negative. This is a release. This is why we cultivate it. It's why we know it. Why we sense it and knowing what it is that can sense that. Don't go wandering off into your thinking mind. Don't start measuring the world in terms of sense consciousness. It's not going to get you far. Just enough to know what to do and how to behave and where you need to be. That's enough. What's enough? So that you can turn towards handling, contact, feeling, chitta, attention, to make them suitable conditions for awakening, rather than burdens, fevers, fires that cause you suffering and stress. So let's take some time for direct practice.